As we come now to our sermon text this morning, we uh, turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I invite you to stand as we come for the reading of the Word of the Living God. Again, we turn to Hebrews chapter 13, again, verses 20 through 25. And hear the Word of the Lord. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom in glory forever and amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us these words on this day, to God we pray that through your blessed providence that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to receive your blessed truth. And to God, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, we touched on a, a very difficult subject. We talked about the doctrine of hell. Of the reality of what comes to all who remain in their rebellion against the Lord our God. As we talked about it, we, we mentioned that it's not a subject that is to be approached lightly or with any kind of flippant uh, attitude or speech. One of the realities that we see the Apostle Paul speaking to here at the end of his letter, of his sermon, of his message to the Hebrews is that our God is the God of the everlasting covenant. Now the Scriptures teach us that there were two main covenants that God has made with man. We know the covenant that God made with Adam, you know, commonly referred to as a covenant of works. The idea being that Adam, uh, being placed in the garden under uh, this uh, edict of probation, as it were, was told uh, to go about certain labors, to tend to the garden, to be fruitful and to multiply. To eat of every tree, every fruit, everything in the garden that was good to eat. Again, it's worthwhile to remember that that included uh, that he was not to eat meat in the garden. And the reason for that was is that there was no death in the garden. You know, eating meat necessitates the death of an animal. And in the garden, there was no sin. And there was no death. And so the only food, you know, the food that Adam was given to eat was uh, fruit and vegetables. But of course, there was one tree that Adam was told by the Lord our God that he was not to eat from. 
He was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As we mentioned, there was nothing evil about the tree. It's not because it contained poisonous fruit, but God had set it aside from Adam. And as long as Adam was obedient to that covenant, as long as he heeded the command of the Lord God, then he and Eve and Adam and Eve's children would have lived for a period of time in the garden until in God's providential timing uh, they would fulfill that covenant and would then go on to the heavenly places prepared from the foundation of the world for God's people to live therein. Of course, we know that Adam did not do that. We know, and the Scriptures tell us, that Adam sinned before the Lord. And we're told in Romans chapter 5 that... Death came through Adam. That death included not only the death of Adam and Eve and all of those who come from them, including us, but it also included the death of animals. And we see there in the word that God has given to us that the first death in the Bible is, uh, was the scene where God slayed a couple animals to provide skin, provide coverings for Adam and Eve. You remember the scene, of course, they, uh, when Adam sinned, they noticed their nakedness and they attempted to cover themselves. And of course, uh, with any kind of human endeavor, their attempt was insufficient. Right? They remained in their nakedness. But it was only by the hand of the living and the true God uh, through the sacrifice of these animals that a proper, a sufficient covering was given unto them. And the Scriptures are, are clear to tell us and they are clear to make the point to us that what has happened through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in this second covenant, the covenant of grace, that the Lord Jesus Christ has not only fulfilled that covenant, but also the broken covenant with Adam. And in that covenant, we are now partakers of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in our passage before us today speaks of it in this way. Again, look there at verse 20. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will. You see, the covering, uh, the righteousness that we have, comes not from the works of our flesh, the works of our hands, because they are like uh, those attempts of Adam and Eve to cover themselves. They are unable to, to fix the problem. The only way that the true problem that we have, our, our, our distance from our Heavenly Father because of our sin and because of the sin of Adam, the only way this is fixed is through the work that Christ has done. This is why it's called here that God is now the God of peace for believers. Because those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, those who have received that, the, 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 the sign, those who have been given and, and received the, the promise of this everlasting covenant, 
are now no longer in enmity, is one way the Bible calls it, in rebellion against God, but now they are made partakers of the family of God and are now at peace with God our Father in heaven. Again, we see in this passage that, that, that this comes only because the Lord Jesus was brought up from the dead. Again, we see this death, this shedding of blood, is necessary, required, for our salvation. Again, there was no other way by which men could be saved than through the death of the firstborn of God the Father. Again, that's what John 3.16 tells us. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but shall receive eternal life. Again, it's worthwhile to remember again as we think about this God of peace, again the warning that Paul gave in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Because again, it's worthwhile to remember that every book in the Bible has a point. Right? None of these books were written haphazardly. None of them are just kind of the random musings of a disciple or of a prophet. You know, the Holy Spirit has a purpose in every book in the Bible. And the book of Hebrews was written, as you might guess, for the Hebrews. And what was the problem that the Hebrews were having? In the Hebrews, we're having a problem understanding what the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant was. Right? The covenant that God made with Moses about Sinai. You see, they were under this misguided idea that they were saved, that they were at peace with God because of the sacrifices of the bulls, of the heifers, and the other animals. They believed that in the keeping of the Mosaic Law, uh, they were saved. And Paul makes it clear chapter after chapter in this sermon that that's not how they're saved. Right? They are not saved by the works of the priests of Aaron. Uh, they have been saved through the work of the priests after the order of Melchizedek. And again, he has a very stark warning for them in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26. He says to them, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. For it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And these words are not meant to scare us. You know, it, this is not an attempt by Paul to kind of, to kind of force people into faith uh, through a kind of passion play. You know, through, through using harsh language, you know, sometimes we can motivate people to do the right thing. 
But again, that's not what Paul's motivation is here. His motivation in here is to show the Hebrews that if they place their faith and trust in Moses, then what are they doing? They are trampling underfoot the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saying that those mosaic uh, uh, works, those uh, uh, old covenant testimonies, those old covenant uh, sacrifices, which were given as a symbol, as a sign, as a pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice, which was the common Jesus Christ. Again, we believe in the signs rather than in the things signified. But of course, this isn't a Hebrew problem alone. Again, this book was written not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And if the Hebrews are confusing the the Old Covenant sign of circumcision and of the Old Covenant sacrifices as the means of their redemption, then what's the message for the Gentiles who have not grown up in that world? None of us grew up going to Jerusalem. Right? None of us grew up going to the tabernacle in the wilderness. You know, none of us have participated in the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. Well, what's the message for us? What is the warning that Paul is giving to us, uh, not only here in Hebrews 10, but especially here at the close in Hebrews 13? And he wants us to remember That our salvation is not through the sign of baptism. right? That our salvation is not through the application of water upon our head or over our whole body. However it is, you are baptized. Again, that is not our hope. That's not our peace. That's not our comfort. Likewise, no one will get into heaven because their mother and their father are a believer. No one will get into heaven because their great-grandparents were believers. You see, that was one of the problems, of course, the Jews had uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that scene in John chapter 8 where they are saying, Hey, how can you say this about us, Jesus? Moses and Abraham are our fathers. And of course, what does Jesus say in response to this idea that the Jews have hope in Abraham and in Moses? He tells them, well, guess what? Abraham and Moses are not your father. Your father is the devil. Because you have placed your faith and your hope in his lies and in his purposes rather than in uh, the assurances that we have of the, of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, as we again hear this word from Hebrews chapter 10, For we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Again, the warning that Paul has for us is, again, if our hope is in our baptism, if our hope is in uh, the obedience of our parents or grandparents, then the judgment will be even harsher on us than it will be on unbelievers. And again, the reason for that is, is because we have received the knowledge of the truth. And we are not ignorant of these things. 
Again, we, 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 if you have somebody on the job who's been there a week, you, know, you have a certain expectation of their ability to do that job. But if somebody's been there for 25 years and are still making the same mistake, you, know, you have a much harsher understanding of uh, their, their, their place in the company. Again, brothers and sisters, this is, again, what Paul is laying down on the feet of the Jews. Again, this is similar to what Jesus says to Nicodemus. And you notice how Jesus treats men like Nicodemus versus how He treats somebody like the Syrophoenician woman. Again, remember, she believed that if she touched the garment, you know, the hem of His garment, that she would be healed. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, your faith has made you well. Now, did the actual touching of the garment heal her? Well, of course not. But again, he had, he had compassion on her in her weakness. When it came to somebody like Nicodemus, he chastises him because he is a teacher of the law. Right? He's somebody who should know better. Right? The Old Testament was very clear and remains to be very clear that the only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times we read in the Psalms that God is the God of salvation? How many times do we see in the Old Testament the prophets warning the Jews about believing that they are protected by their physical relation to, to, to Moses and to Abraham? You know, that's one of the things the prophet Nahum uh, uh, gets uh, kind of really into the uh, nitty-gritty about. Again, he's warning them and, 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 and cautioning them uh, in their false hope. Again, how is it that we show? You know, how, what are the fruits that we're supposed to see that testify to the fact that our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, again, Paul makes it very clear here. Verse 21, he says, Make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the, 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 the attitude, the, the actions of our hearts, the, the, the works of our lives testify to the nature of our faith. Again, this is really what James is getting to when he talks about faith without works being dead. And there, there are some who try to make uh, some kind of disagreement between the Apostle Paul and James. You know, um, Paul says that justification comes by faith alone. And here we have James saying that faith without works is dead. You know, how, how do we reconcile these things? And the Apostle Paul and James, of course, are teaching the same thing. And it's not that we get in by grace and then have to do works in order to keep our salvation. What does the Lord Jesus tell us in John 15? And if we are of the true vine, then we will produce the fruit of the vine. However, if we are of another vine, then we will produce works fit for destruction. And again, when we we think about the Christian life, again, how is it? Kind of brass tacks, practically speaking, how do we show uh, this faith? Again, when we, we think about kind of the basics, kind of the obvious things that Christians are supposed to do. Well, again, we, we, we think about uh, the, the use and the means of God's grace. Right? Are we reading His Word? You know, do we love to read His Word? 
Do we love to be in the presence of God's people? Do we love to, to, to come before the Lord our God in prayer? You know, these are kind of the basics. You know, if, you're, if you're working on a vehicle, you know, there's certain basic things that have to be done, right? You have to change your oil. Right? You, you have to keep your fluids up. You have to check the tread on your tires. You can't be worrying about you know, some uh, small bolt inside your transmission if you haven't changed your oil in 10,000 miles. Right? Because it's not going to matter. Right? Again, we have to be focused on these basic things. We have to be grounded in these basic things. Again, when we, we hear uh, Paul talk about this making us complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight... Well, again, what is the way that God has given in His Word that we are being made complete? You know, when we think about this, you know, it's not as if the Christian life is you know, sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something to you. Right? you know, that, that, that's, that, that's part of how the people at Thessalonica thought. You know, that, that was the whole problem with these people who were not working. Right? They were waiting for Jesus Christ to do something. And so they were not working, and Paul says, well, if they're not going to work, then they're not going to eat. Right? They, the point there is not so much that they're lazy. The point is that they're sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back, and they're not doing anything. Again, the, the, the attitude that we are to have is this attitude we do see here. Again, we are being made complete through the means of God's grace, right? Through His Word, uh, through the attendance unto uh, the means of His grace. Not only in the reading of the Word, uh, but attendance on the Lord's Day. And this is one of the reasons why God has set aside uh, this day. Again, not long after, Paul gives uh, this warning uh, actually, before it, again, he talks to the, uh, the Hebrews and he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who has promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And this is one of the things that makes the Christian faith so different from not only the religions of the world, but of the culture around us. And we, as Paul lays it out here, are to consider one another. And we're not to consider ourselves. Right? Our, our first attitude should always be for our neighbor. Whether it, should, whether it is our literal neighbor on the road, or whether it be our, our, our neighbor in the faith. Again, this attitude, again, is what Jesus describes as Again, taking up your cross and following Him. Right? This denying self. Right? He who will be first will be what? Be last. But he who is last will be first. Right? These basic things, these foundational things, again, are a testimony to the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because again, understanding our place in the kingdom... Understanding that we are members of this kingdom, again, changes not only how we see ourselves, 
but most especially how we see the other citizens in this kingdom. I notice again what he says there again, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Right, this remembering of one another is to stir up love. Well, think, think about what that means there. Again, stirring up love. Again, the, the idea here is, is that when we consider one another, when we consider them before ourselves, again, we are considering those whom God has given to us. Again, we are considering those whom God has placed in our path. And again, this, this activity of the heart, again, uh, not only stirs it up, uh, but it continues the love that we're to have for one another. Again, this, this whole self-sacrifice idea of the Scriptures. And it's shown forth because of that love. Again, think of what Jesus says about about the love of a friend, right? There's no greater love than a man who lays down his life for a friend. Well, again, that doesn't mean we have to literally die for one another. Again, again, it, it changes. Again, the way we see one another. Again, we're not objects to be used for our own benefit. Right? We're not uh, here uh, to be served by others. But we are here to serve one another. You know, again, to seek the best for one another. And again, the purpose of this is not to build ourselves up. You know, to show everybody how great servants we are. Right? Well, again, that, that's part of uh, the warning that Jesus gives in Matthew 6. Right? Because that was the attitude of the Pharisees, right? They loved to go to the corners and beat their chest and say, look at all the wonderful things that I do. Right? Look at all the things that I've done for everyone else. Right? Jesus says that's not actually serving one another, is it? Right? Because the attitude is for the glory of the self. You know, no, not the left hand and the right hand what they do. But again, notice something else Paul says here. Again, stir up love and good works. And this idea of good works, again, is not that we are earning a bigger mansion in heaven. Right? We're, not, we're not gaining merit through these things. But again, the work that, 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 that Paul calls good here is the work of our obedience to the law of God. Again, are we ordering our lives in accordance with the law of God? Again, are we seeing the law of God as a blessing unto us? And this is, again, think of what Jesus says in John 14. Again, what, what sets apart uh, true disciples from false disciples? Again, if you love me, you will love my commandments. Well, think about that nature of love again. Again, this stirring up love. Again, stirring up love, the commandments of God, again, is understanding our relationship to the law of God. Again, we're not looking unto the law of God in order to earn God's favor, but we're looking unto the law of God as a blessed gift in order to, to, to order our lives, to be blessed through the wisdom of God. Again, I, th- I think each one of us can testify that the, the real trials uh, and, and then the fallings that we have in our Christian lives comes almost always when we uh, not just tra- transgress the law, but when we despise the law of God. When we look at the law and say, say surely there's a better way than what God has laid down. Again, that, that's, that, that's especially going to be difficult in this culture in which we live, where everything is being set aside. In, uh, in disagreement with how God has ordered uh, His creation. 
We especially see this uh, in, in, in kind of really direct way in the relationships and the way marriages are put together today. You know, it's a very real sense where the, the cart is getting put before the horse. And again, a lot of that comes uh, because we haven't done a good job of not just showing what Christian marriage looks like, but we haven't done a good job of teaching what Christian marriage looks like. And again, that's not just true here at Bethany, but that's kind of a worldwide problem in the evangelical faith. And so uh, as we read here, as we see this, as Paul is laying this out again, as he closes uh, this passage, he says now again, And I appeal to you, brethren... Bear with the word of exhortation. And it's interesting, Paul, uh, the way he, he, again, he talks here about uh, the nature of these things. Again, bear with the word of exhortation. Again, when somebody says, bear with me, what do they usually mean? You know, they, they mean they're going to be talking for a while, right? It, it, it's it's going to be a while till they're done. You know, bear with me you know, as I tell you this story. Well, again, Paul is saying, bear with this exhortation. Look. I know I've said a lot in these 13 chapters. I know I've told you a lot of things. What is the way that we can bear with the exhortation of the Scriptures? Right? Well, again, we're not supposed to read the Bible like a fire hose. Right? We're not supposed to open the Bible up and try to drink from it in that way. Right? God doesn't expect us to read the Bible that way. Right? We, are, we are called to take the Scriptures in not just kind of small measure, but take them in the measure that we are able to take them. Right? That's one of the criticisms that Paul has of the people at, at Corinth, right? That they haven't risen above the uh, drinking of milk. Right? They're still babes in the, in the faith. Why are they not eating the meat of the Word? Because they have not again, understood their own weakness. Right? They've not only tried to do too much, but they've gotten discouraged in trying to do too much, and now they're just not doing anything. Of course, we can all identify with that. There are many things that we do where we take on way too much, we get burnt out on it, and then we just don't do it at all. Again, the reading of the Word is similar in this way. Again, we need to not just measure ourselves, But we need uh, to be encouraged through this exhortation, through the reading of the Scriptures. And one of the ways we do that is by reading the Scriptures together. And the Bible knows nothing about this individualism, this Lone Ranger Christianity that we see so much today. One of the things we see in Titus 2 and in, in 1 Timothy 4 is one of the things the older ladies are supposed to do is they're supposed to take the younger ladies and do what? To teach them, right? And, and one of the ways they're supposed to teach them, we see in both of those passages, is they're supposed to encourage them. And, and how are they supposed to encourage them? Right? They're supposed to encourage them by coming alongside them. Right? They're, they're not to talk down to them. Right? They're not to chastise them. But they're to come alongside them and, and help them in their times of need. It's one of the blessings of having a congregation of mature saints and younger saints. You all have walked a path longer than I have. You all have dealt with many more things than I have. One of the the, the wisdoms that we are to have is we're supposed to listen to our elders. 
Not just because they've experienced these things, but because they have an understanding that we don't have. And that's countercultural again to how our, our, our world operates. You know, what was that um, you know, saying back in the 60s? You're not supposed to listen to anybody who's older than 30, right? Well, I guess that now it's anybody older than 70 as that generation has, has gotten older. But you know, the idea again is, in the book of Proverbs, is we're supposed to honor uh, the, uh, uh, the white-headed. And one of the reasons for that, again, is understood here in what Paul is laying out here in this bearing of the word of exhortation. Again, we are to help one another in all things. Again, this is part of that stirring up of love for one another. Again, as a congregation of the Lord, we have been blessed in this way. And as Paul closes here, as he speaks uh, as, he, as he calls out, he tells us to greet all those who rule over you and all the saints and those from Italy greet you and that grace is to be with you all. Amen. And as Paul closes his time and as we close our time here this, uh, this, this morning, and I want to encourage you once again as we've touched on again some, some heavy things in speaking of hell and of the destruction of those outside the faith. And let us remember again the tender words uh, that we have, uh, have heard at the closing of this passage. Again, uh, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints and those from Italy greet you. Again, we're not in this battle alone. Again, go unto others. Again, receive not just that wisdom from the aged, but also bear the word that God's given to us. May we learn from it. May we love His word. And may we remember the means by which He is growing us in every good work to do His will for His glory and for the blessing of the redemption that comes through the God of peace. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,